Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Moore, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's good to be with you. Uh, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Matthew. And as you've been singing about, uh, as you've been confessing and participating in our service, you know that uh, we are looking at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth. And in Matthew's account, <clears throat> it's not so much a delivery as much as it is a conception. And so you want to pick that up as you listen or read along with, it, with, with me here in Matthew's account. But what I want to do uh, for our time is to uh, look at this account through Joseph's eyes. So with that, let's give our attention uh, to the reading of God's word found in the book of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is from the book of Isaiah. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And pray for us. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the time to be together, to worship. Uh, and, and now we pray that as we read and as we listen to your word, that you would uh, graciously open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear things. Otherwise, we could not. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Some of you know uh, a little bit about my family and, and, and the basics of that is that I have a wife and four girls, and so that's six if you're counting. And w what that means also on a day-to-day -day basis is that there is an enormous amount of laundry uh, in and around our house. And I'm going to go ahead and just put this up front. I don't deal with a lot of that, thankfully, just because I'm here or I'm doing other things and, and also because I have an amazing wife who doesn't want to deal with it either, but she just does, and I'm really grateful for that. This week was like none other uh, in the Moore household as it pertains to laundry. It was kind of this perfect storm of we had gotten back from a trip. We we're in the process of changing out summer and winter clothing. And then it was just sort of that time where you kind of were wondering how long have these 18 towels, bath towels been in the girls' rooms? When have they been washed? You just kind of grabbed all those too. And it just created this enormous pile. It seems like after you get done with eight loads of laundry in our house, there are 10 more remaining. And it's like this every day, every day, every day, every day. Some of you can relate to this. <clears throat> Friday night, all that uh, came to sort of a head where <laughs> I remember getting home and Ada just saying, just don't even go in our room. 
And, of course, I go in our room, and I don't even see the bed. And we have a king-size bed, by the way. I don't see it. It is covered in laundry. And it's just like, here we are. Okay, this is life, right? And, and so what do you do? You just kind of back up slowly, and you shut the door. You just <laughs> go turn on the TV. Um, what made Friday actually even more interesting to me is that uh, one of us will sort of, at some point in time, just begin to kind of suck it up and go in there and deal with it. Um, but that didn't happen. Um, Aiden went to bed early. I was watching a movie with the kids and, um, I go, movie's over. I go into my room and I mean, I still can't see the bed. The laundry is there. And I know my wife is somewhere in this bed. She just didn't even attempt to move it off the bed. She just kind of, I just, I give up surrender. I'm I'm going, I'm just going to kind of get in here. And if it smothers me to death, it does. And, um, and so, you know, I, if I was even going to actually get in the bed, I was going to have to deal with this. I was going to have to, to move it. And I was, I've been surprised before at how much laundry we have, but I was really surprised because as I just kept picking it up and picking it up. It was just, it just never stopped. And I, and I had to settle for putting it in the corner of the room and letting it pile up. And I'm pretty sure it was seven feet tall. And, and that was just what, where does this come from? What is going on? And, and, and it, it'll be there when I get home today. It'll be there um, tomorrow and the next day. It just the laundry never stops. What does this have to do with the incarnation, right? Uh, here's the reason we're talking about the laundry this morning at the Moore's house. I, I can't fully explain to you. I can't fully explain to you our laundry problems, but I have to deal with it regardless. My, my wife and I have to deal with it regardless for no other reason than just because it's there. This is the virgin birth for us as a church. God is not asking us to explain every part of this. Um, he's not even concerned as we open the pages of Matthew uh, with you understanding how all this comes to be. He doesn't even expect us to understand it all completely. But what he is asking us to do, like that laundry, is you have to deal with this, whether you like it or not, because it's not going anywhere. You have to deal with this. More specifically, God wants us to deal with him this morning as we consider tough things about how, how Jesus came to this earth, a man, yet sinless. That's the virgin birth. This morning, the second week of Advent, we come to Matthew's account of the virgin birth, how Mary became to be with child. And I want to look at this through Joseph's eyes this morning and ignore what's on your outline there. Um, I want us to look at it in three ways. Um, I want us to see how God deals with Joseph in this account. I want us to see why God deals with Joseph in this way. And then I want us to see, lastly, what Joseph does. So, So how... How God deals with Joseph, why God deals with Joseph, and and what Joseph does. So let's look at the the first one there if you're taking notes. How God deals with Joseph in this story. Uh, As some of you know, uh, my previous uh, ministry experience was uh, on the college campus dealing with college students. And that always looked like dealing with relationships. And sometimes those relationships would end in marriage. And that was a good thing. And so um, a lot of conversations with students about, should I marry this person? Should I not? And this one particular student, uh, just the conversation that I remember having, um, really sort of stuck with me and set the tone with um, probably more my life as well, but just sort of as a summary of everything else that people um, 
at that stage of life are struggling with. And for this student, their dating relationship had really come to an end. Um, and, you know, half of college ministry is trying to convince college students that their dating relationship is pretty much over. You need to either decide to break up or get married. You probably don't agree with that advice, but um, that doesn't matter. At, at this point, it, it, was, it was done, it was dying with, and he had to make this decision, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And he was in knots over this. And, but his questions to me were really t- telling. His questions were, Ryan, what, what if she's not the one? Hmm? You know, what if we get married and five years down the road, I'm not happy? I can almost promise you, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> just kept listening. What if we'd both be happier with other people was, a, was another question that came right out. What, what am I even, why am I even doubting? And what does that mean about whether or not that we should get married? He was just torn over this. And as, as we had several other conversations about this and talking out the pros and the cons and exhausting, you know, every little uh, possibility, the question came up to him like this, what, what are you looking for? And I, and I didn't mean, like, do you prefer blondes or brunettes? I meant somewhere deep, deep down underneath the superficial in this decision of whether to get married or not, you're looking for something, what is it? And I said this because I think that you're actually looking for salvation, but you don't really know it. That is, you're looking to this girl in this particular situation, to this relationship, to make all things work out for you. To make you happy. And you're looking for it in this finite, sinful girl who is way more than you even deserve to actually bring that to you. And it was as if a light sort of went off for him because as soon as he saw what he was asking this girl to be and the weight of his own expectations upon her and how no one could bear that weight, he could see that what he was really looking for in this relationship in this girl was a savior. But it took a life moment like this, like getting married, to bring this truth to the surface now, just to wrap that, I'm happy to say that this particular couple did get engaged and are happily married, and I'm sure they're dealing with their laundry problem somewhere right now. But I, I start here to say that this is where Joseph finds himself. Joseph finds himself in a similar situation. At the end of verse 19, he has to make a decision here. Do I stay or do I go? And this is actually a bigger problem in the story than we tend to realize because Joseph has to adopt this child into his family. Why? Because the baby has to come from the line of David, which Joseph is a part of. And Matthew has already shown us this in the genealogy in the opening uh, verses of chapter 1. But he has to adopt this baby. And in this way, it's strange to think that the virgin birth, if you will... In one sense, all comes down to whether or not Joseph says yes, says yes to her. If Joseph says no, Joseph is not brought in, or Jesus is not brought in and made part of the line of David. It's a big deal. But what I love about Matthew's account and what I want to draw your attention to as we continue in this first point is that <clears throat> Matthew's fine with this. God is fine with this. 
And as verse 18 starts, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And the Greek here for birth is not the normal birth. It's actually Genesis. It's the origin. The origin of Jesus Christ came about this way. And then the story of Mary and Joseph being betrothed, which is actually way more serious than, than, than an engagement for us. And then the news of a baby before they came together, as the text says. Or before they knew each other sexually, is what that means. Matthew's story is very clear that Joseph never touched Mary, and we'll see why that's important later. But the first part ends with Joseph resolving to divorce her quietly at the end of verse 19. And there's no question at this point why Joseph is getting the divorce papers ready. At first glance, his bride-to-be has been unfaithful. Culturally speaking, this would not benefit Joseph in any way. In fact, it would only bring shame upon his name and, and, and possibly his family as well. Second, should Joseph stay with Mary? There's always those sort of personal fulfillment questions. You know, can I trust her? Is this how my life was supposed to start? Right. Don't I deserve better, even, Joseph might have thought. Is that how he envisioned his marriage and life one day to start off like this? I doubt it. Lastly, would Joseph's family even accept Mary? It's a big question here. Probably the biggest component of the story, taking Mary in might cause him to be removed from his family, and thus he might even have to leave town. These are all possibly some of the thoughts that Joseph is having to make in verse 19 as God, what, actually leaves him to consider these things, to figure it out by the time we get to verse 20. And don't you just love that? God leaves Joseph to wrestle with this decision. This is how God deals with him. God knows what's going to happen. There's no doubt about that. He knows how this is going to turn out, but the detail here is remarkable to me. He leaves Joseph to himself to figure this out, kind of like that former student that I was mentioning earlier. He kind of just lets us linger. And this is my first point, how God deals with Joseph. I'm sure you've been in a situation like this before, a life crisis situation where you needed a word, you needed some wisdom, you needed God to speak to you, you need somebody to tell you what to do. And as you prayed and cried out for that, you only seem to get silence in return. But was God really silent? What if he was dealing with you in a way that was exactly what you needed? Although it wasn't what you wanted. When we find ourselves in tough situations and find ourselves asking God for direction, what we really want, if we're honest with ourselves, is more control. We want control over the uncertainty of the situation. <laughs> what exhausts the laundry for my wife, it is the antithesis of control and certainty. It just seems like it's, 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 it's never controlled, right? We love to deal with certainty, but what God often is after is for us to deal with him. And this gets to the second point as to why. Why God deals with Joseph in this way. So how God deals with Joseph is to let him deal with his thoughts so that he might go and deal with him. And that's the why. God lets Joseph consider these things, as the text says. But why? Because it's truly in those most serious of life moments that we are able to actually get down to the core of who we are. 
Those moments have the ability to crystallize the question, what are you looking for? What is life all about for you? And maybe for this time or season, what is Christmas about for you? Because your girlfriend or your fiancé coming to you and saying, I'm pregnant, has the ability and power to hit pause on the iPod. What was that? Cancer in your family has the ability to turn off the TV because things just got real, really fast. Losing your job or the death of loved ones has the ability to silence or pause the millions of ways that we escape in life in order to force us to get to the core of who we are, to deal with ourselves. I find it extremely interesting to just observe how our culture, for example, deals with death. Something that has been around forever. Something that most of the world deals with on a daily basis. But we freak out about it. And not in a healthy way. We don't mourn it. We freak out about it in a way as if it's sort of, uh, you know, how dare death come in and mess up my life? We feel disenfranchised about it. It's not fair. Where did this come from? Why me? And we, we have the privilege of doing that because we are able to actually build our lives in a way that avoids the mess of this world. But God loves us more. He loves us too much to leave us there. He deals with us because ultimately he wants us to deal with him. To get us to ask, what is it we are looking for in life? What is it that we think this is all about for us? Not as a sick joke. He doesn't let us linger out there. Just, he's not letting Joseph just sort of be uh, in silence with himself just as a sick joke. But as a way to get us to deal with him. And the same is true for Joseph as well. He wants Joseph to deal with himself so that he is forced to deal with God. And so it is this morning for us. Some 2,000 years later, as we read about the incarnation of Jesus, the virgin birth, Christmas, all of that, right? All of this is God getting you to deal with him. I don't think the incarnation is supposed to be this comfortable, feel-good story. I think it's supposed to bother us. God is saying, hey, I don't care what you believe today. I don't care what you believe today. I don't, I don't care what you're looking for to make life work out for you, to make it worth it for you. I don't care because this story here in Matthew changes everything, and I want you to deal with that. We can dress up the holidays however we'd like, Christmas trees, presents, Santa. And see, those things can either point us to Jesus, they really can, or they can help us Uh, point away from Jesus by becoming another distraction. But for Matthew and his gospel, from the start, God has come to be with you. And you have to deal with him in this way. This is why God is dealing with Joseph in this way. So what what happens to Joseph? What does he do? And this gets us through the rest of the story. First, Joseph gets a visit from the angel of the Lord. Okay? Now, here's what, here's what, here's what we do when we read this story or, or we hear it. 
it's easy for us to think, well, look, if an angel of the Lord came and visited me and told me what to do, then it would be clear to me and I would do it. But I want, I want you to question that for just a second, okay? I want you to consider, would I, would I in fact do that? In fact, could I even consider how this makes the story for Joseph personally worse? Right? On top of going against family, culture, personal fulfillment in deciding to stay with Mary, he now has to tell those people why he's staying with her. It's because an angel came and spoke to me in my dreams. And I want you to ask the question, when was the last time you took serious somebody who said that to you? This, be careful not to read this and just think, oh, well, this is, you know, God just sort of hypnotized Joseph. Like, this doesn't make, necessarily make it easier. Yes, divine inspiration is happening, but that doesn't mean that faith is removed from the equation for Joseph. And any of the biblical writers for that matter. Because what it is that the angel of the Lord comes to tell him is Joseph, son of David. There's the lineage. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And he didn't want to hear that. But here comes the hard part. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, why is this difficult? This is difficult not because Joseph has a problem with the science of it all, although he probably does. It's, this is difficult not because Joseph even has trouble believing the angel of the Lord. This is difficult because of the implications of what the angel is saying. God has finally acted in history as he promised. And your role, Joseph, is to be the stepdad to the Messiah. In other words, God is coming to earth, and that means you, Joseph, have to deal with him personally. Is God really true? Is this really him? If I say yes to her and we have this baby, what if this doesn't work out the way that my dream said that it would? He has to believe. Don't think for a minute that Joseph has all of this figured out at 16 or 17 years of age. Don't think for a second that God picked Joseph because he was elder material. For Joseph, what this visit means is that he has come, to, he has to come to grips with what it is that he is looking for in this life. What it is that is going to make all things work out for him. In other words, he has to see that he, like all of us in this room, we are looking for a savior of some sort. What is it? And I would pose that question on you this morning as well. Is this it? In the pages of Matthew. So Joseph gets a visit from the angel of the Lord. Second, Joseph decides to understand who he is, what he is looking for. By entering someone else's story. And this gets to the heart of the passage and maybe even the heart of Christmas for us. And that is the story of the incarnation is not so much about what it is that you are looking for in life, friends. The story of the incarnation is about someone else who has actually come to look for you. And that someone else we read about in the opening pages of Matthew is called Emmanuel. God with us. 
And that other story is what God has been doing throughout history to redeem his creation and restore it to himself, namely to save a people from their sin. See, for Matthew, whether Joseph is ready to deal with God or not, and this may be where some of us find ourselves in this room, God is committed to dealing with him. He will save his people from their sins. That is the message of Christmas this this year, every year, but certainly from this text. For salvation to come to God's creation, it must come from outside the creation. And this is how God chooses to write this part of the story. For that which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. To put it bluntly, this baby cannot come from the seed of man. And Matthew goes out of his way to show you that. Look at how the story ends here. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Why does Matthew end this story this way? It's, it's kind of strange. <clears throat> Why does he end it this way? We don't hear that the angel of the Lord told Joseph to do this. Right? This was Joseph's decision to wait until the birth of Jesus to consummate the, late, the marriage. Why? Could I suggest this? To make sure that we knew that Joseph had nothing to do with the conception of this child. It's as if Joseph himself enters into the weight of what is happening to him. That there can be no question that this baby in Mary's womb is from God himself. In other words, Joseph says no to writing his own story the way he wants to. And he says yes to entering someone else's story. The story of God's redemption for all people. Joseph says yes to Mary because he says yes to God and to his story of bringing salvation to his people. Joseph says yes to Mary because he says, I will only understand who I am and ultimately what I am looking for by entering someone else's story. And that story is the story of what God is doing throughout history to redeem his people. Behold, from the book of Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the story that Joseph is choosing to enter in this text. What Christmas is truly about for us then is that God has forced himself on the scene so that we might leave our stories of sin and failure and shame and enter a new one. A story of love and of joy and of hope for this world, and for the creation. And Joseph says yes to that. And the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, Christmas is an invitation. It's a reminder of the story that we can now become a part of because God, Emmanuel, has come to be with us. So what does this mean for us as we leave here today? I only have a couple questions that I want you to wrestle with uh, for the remainder, not just this week, but for all of Advent. As we continue this Christmas season, the first question is, what's the incarnation about for you? What is the incarnation about for you? Is it a story just for kids and not adults? Is it a story that's too good to be true? Maybe you're thinking. Well, what would happen for you to consider that Matthew's account is true for a day? 
How would that change things for you? In other words, have you dealt with God or are you punting on God this Christmas, leaving the holidays to nothing more than pomp and circumstance? If the incarnation is anything for us, it is another opportunity for us to deal with God as he is asked to be dealt with by coming to earth in the flesh as a human being. It is not something that we can ignore. Do not make the mistake of making the manger or the nativity scene out to be this cute, cuddly, precious moment collection. Instead, the manger scene should scare you to death. It should bother you. It should haunt you. At the very least, it should make you uncomfortable. And my only request is to let it. Let it. This is God's way of saying, I want you to deal with me. What is the incarnation about for you this Christmas? Second, what are you looking for? You might have guessed that one. What are you looking for? And if it's not God himself and the person of Jesus Christ, what are you looking for to rescue you from your sin, to bring you salvation, to make life all work out for you? And maybe another question to follow that is, why haven't you found it yet? Could I suggest that what your heart is truly looking for this Christmas is a Savior who truly can make sense of this life? Who can answer life's most fundamental questions? Who has said by his coming to be with us that before you ever decided to deal with me, this Savior has said, I have chosen and committed myself to dealing with you. By dying for you. See, Jesus, what the incarnation says to us is he is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you. He's committed. He's done this. It's happening. Whether you choose to deal with him or not. And the question that leaves us with is, what what are you looking for outside of this? What more could we be looking for than what we are given on the pages of Matthew as Mary is with child? Given to her by the Holy Spirit. The problem with the virgin birth for us especially for those that don't believe, is that if Matthew's account is untrue, then your problems and my problems still do not go away. Sin and brokenness still remain. You are still looking for salvation, looking for life to work itself out somehow. But could you consider Jesus as that somehow this year? An invitation to stop looking and to find yourself, to find your life To find your story caught up in Emmanuel himself, the God who has come so graciously to deal with us. So what are you looking for this Christmas? Because as it turns out, Christmas is really about someone who has come looking for you. It's the same thing that Joseph found out. And as Joseph would would be told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account and we thank you for how you are not concerned at all with the complexities of how you have written your story to redeem all people. We are the ones with the problem. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing in this account? Would you give us the faith to believe that this child is who, that he, who you say that he is? that he has come to be with us to take away the sins of this world.
Would we fall more in love with that story, the story of a God who comes looking for us as we figure out whether or not we're looking for him? And would we deal with you as you have asked to be dealt with and not to be ignored because of your incarnation this Christmas in new and in fresh ways? Would you be gracious and merciful to us in that way? We pray this in your son's name. Amen.